0: Hey, it's Lance, your host of Yesterday's Concert. Before we get this episode started, I want to take 25 seconds to tell you about my other show, Jam Journals. Jam Journals is a podcast that takes you on a journey through music history, featuring live performances from some of the most iconic concerts of all time. Each episode recounts a different concert experience through a dramatic narrative that brings the memories to life with vivid detail and emotion. Join us as we take a trip down memory lane of some of the most unforgettable concerts in recent history jam journals is available everywhere you get podcasts yesterday's concert is a proud member of the pantheon podcast network
1: we talk about it like match practice a bit you know like we, we actually reference sport a lot you know in, in what we do because the covid thing really obviously took a lot of our our match time out you know and then when it started up again it was quite spread out you might have a one gig and another one three months later and it's just really hard to sort of just get up and be at that level like a band needs to be when you go on a tour and and it's really like fitness you know so i feel like we're, we're also fortunate that um we're a band of, of folks that enjoy being together and enjoy playing music together there's still a lot of love in the room and that's a really good thing that so we can enjoy doing it together
0: Welcome to Yesterday's Concert, a podcast that celebrates live music. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode we talk to Dave signs bassist for Boy and Bear. We discuss the band's new self-titled album, including adding more digital elements, plus their value of being collaborative. Grab your earplugs for Rock's most consistent band.
1: Dave, how are you doing today, man? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. It's a nice... Uh, we've kind of had our change of season here in Sydney, Australia. It's gone into the morning sort of frost a little bit, and uh, yeah, it's cooled off, and it's got the jumper on now, so it's all a bit different, but no, it's good. So are y'all heading into winter right now? Yeah, that's right. So we're the opposite to you guys. So yeah, winter's about the start of June. So yeah, we've got a couple more weeks to go, and then we and then we hit our winter. Man, that's wild. It's getting like in the humidity's hitting like 80%
0: here. It's in like 90s oh, and stuff. Okay. It's just, that's wild, man. That's so weird to think about. Just the opposite. Killer. Where are you based, actually? Which which part of the state are you? I'm in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis. Yeah, right. Tennessee. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Dave, pumped to talk about the new album. But before we do that, let's do a couple of icebreakers. Just have some fun. Get to know each other. So my first question for you is, in honor of your new self-titled album,
1: what's your favorite self-titled album? Oh, gee, that's an amazing question. I don't even know if I know of any self-titled albums. Isn't that classic? Yes, you do. Give me a few and I'll tell you if I know them. Like the Jimi Hendrix Experience, their first album. Oh, there you go. Well, that's probably one of my favorites, actually, because I remember um, when I started playing music, it was at this party in in the neighborhood I was growing up with. I I was eight. I was the only kid at the whole party, you know, it was all these adults. And um, I remember the family was from from northern Europe, like from Denmark, and they, they used to put on these kind of, you know, wild party. And I guess I was just sort of sitting there and the and, and the lady who owned the house took me into her son's bedroom and her son was much he had he had left home years before. And she pulled out this little guitar. And said, oh, yeah, why, why don't you have a go on this? And, and his room was full. So she kept his room sort of still the same, even though he was probably in his 30s or something. <laughs> and it was all Jimi Hendrix paraphernalia and stuff everywhere. That was my introduction to Jimmy, and was playing this guitar in this guy's bedroom with all this, I guess, posters on the wall and whatnot. And and not long after that, I started listening to you know The Experience and his records and stuff. So, I'm going to have to vote for that. Isn't it funny? My mind went blank then when you said, and I thought, oh, I hadn't even thought about it. <laughs> it, yeah, self-titled records. Who else has done one? But yeah, there you go. That's that's a nice memory for me. Yeah, nice. I love it. Thanks for sharing,
0: man. So, in your opinion, when it comes to your bass rig, what do you consider your secret weapon?
1: Wow, that's that's a cool question too. Just recently, I've always been pretty neutral actually in terms of like, you know, I come from like a jazz and, and soul funk background in terms of my development as an electric bass player and then moving into multiple genres. But but from that, I guess I took like, I've just got a bass that I've got set up the way I like to play it and I've got the Ampeg bass rig and I'd thump it out. But um, in more recent times, I got onto something by an Italian luthier and builder who builds pedals and things and amps. He's called Jad Freer, and he's he's from Italy, and he's got this thing called the Capo, which has become my um my live pedal, which is a DI preamp saturator kind of thing. And I mean, it's been amazing in the studio too, to be to be honest. It's a, it's a it's a studio quality tool, but I've been using that live, and it's been it's been really great. That's awesome. That's really cool. Okay, so next question. I know you guys are an
0: Australian band, but what's an American city that you love to play?
1: Ah, oh, yeah, cool man. What I love about America actually is the differences, you know, so like, because, you know, we come in often and we, and we spend a month there doing shows and it's amazing when you get to sort of do the full circle, you know, not that we've been everywhere because it's it's a massive, massive, massive place. But there's something really special to me, that whole kind of West Coast, once we sort of start from, from Vancouver and Canada and get all the way down to San Diego, you know, there's something geographically amazing about all of that. But then if I think about, city to actually play concert in or something like that there's something i've got i've got a real fondness for new orleans and uh we've only ever really played it once but i've been there myself many other times and i just feel like that's just like this musical hub of a city of just like the vibe of live music there is sort of insane and there's a lot of great venues out of the main downtown you know you know french quarter and all that you know once you get out a bit there's just i've just been to some amazing shows down there so yeah, I'd love to play New Orleans again and actually yeah.
0: That's really cool. That's I, since I'm just down the road from New Orleans, it's only like a 6-hour drive for us. I've been a fair amount of times and I mean I
1: Did you go to Jazz Fest this year or
0: uh, it's been on my bucket list, and I had the Stones were supposed to play it several years back, and I had a ticket, and then they canceled, and then they rescheduled, and then they canceled, and so I haven't made it to Jazz Fest, but I did see Kiss on Halloween night in New Orleans, and that oh, yeah. was a blast. Yeah, wow. Like it
1: was just the freaks were fully out that night, and it was it was really cool, yeah, a really hey, cool yeah. night. What I, what I loved about Jazz Fest was it wasn't it's not so much the festival in terms of like the on like you know the outdoor bit. I mean that's great, but I don't know if it's still the same, but it, that all kind of finishes by six or seven o'clock and then the city becomes the festival and there's like every venue has has music on all night and, and that's often where you're kind of getting all the great gigs you know. Yeah did you guys play Jazz Fest or did you just attend? We actually didn't play Jazz Fest no I, I, I just attended a couple of times actually just as a as a music fan I put myself to New Orleans I actually met a bass player who came to Australia a couple of times and we became mates so I, I sort of Took myself to New Orleans like, I don't know, probably half a dozen times and just stay with him and and just sort of check it out. And yeah, it's just a bit of a a musical pilgrimage, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, that's killer, man. Well, that's killer. Well, last question and then
0: we'll jump more into the conversation. So like I've said, you guys are Australian, but I want to know, all my favorite bands seem to come from Australia. What's in the water down there that's making all this good
1: music? Like what's, (laughs) what's happening down there, man? That's really cool to hear. You know, that's. A, I mean, I feel like our scene is really strong, actually. I mean, we're a small country. We're a long way. We're a hell of a long way from you guys and from, and from you know, the UK and Europe. Maybe one thing that I think is like a point of difference maybe is that our influences are everything in a way, you know. So it's like we grow up and whatever sort of has dripped in here, like it's, it's equal parts, you know. So I feel like me as a musician and, and us as a band, Boy and Bear, like, there's as much American inspiration and influence as there is European, as there is whatever's sort of come out of here locally, you know. And I so I feel like there's a real melting pot of all that, and I feel like we've dealt with that in a way that's become like sort of made our own sound, you know what I mean? Whereas I feel like if you um, if you grow up in the UK or this, or America, it's kind of there's enough going on you could just sort of you know be in that one world, world a bit. I'm not saying that's what actually people do, but I feel like over here it's kind of a little bit more dip your toe into lots of different things along the way even just as a musician you know you as a player you know you you actually have the opportunity to sort of be putting on a different pair of shoes every night and playing all multiple styles of music because you sort of need to do that to sort of like you know get by as well you know what I mean you can't just sort of be the be the rock guy that just you know has okay there's there's a hundred rock bands you can go and play with you know I'm, I'm talking about when you when you're getting started you know what I mean you tend to play different things so maybe there's something in that you know. Is that
0: why King Gizzard has an album in basically
1: every single genre (laughs) man made ever possibly? I don't know those guys personally. I mean, I work with people that work with them and stuff like that. So I hear stories. They're a a fascinating group, group of musicians and band, aren't they? I mean, just the amount of the volume of material they put out and the different styles and all that. Like, it's pretty, pretty wild, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's like, they are my favorite band right now. And I, I've traveled awesome. the country to see them a couple of times. And I mean, it really, I think that was the bridge for me to crossing over to that top spot of my fandom was just, they're so prolific in what they do. And it's just really, they are one of the more fascinating bands on the, the scene today, just because of what their output is. And It's just, you don't see bands doing stuff like that. Yeah, 100%. So that's I just I was curious if you know what was in the water that was making them do all that, and if y'all were (laughs) sipping on that too or something. It's it's wild down there, man. So I mean, but speaking of albums, tell me about. I want to start with a really broad question to start. Um, Yeah. With your new album, your new self titled album, when and where did you guys record, write and record that album?
1: Yeah, totally. So we we started writing that record and COVID hit because we were put out another record at the end of 2019 and and we we hit the road a little bit we actually we were in america and then we were in europe and then it all got shut down we kind of were like felt like we were like a, a week ahead of the virus in europe like we, i think we were in milan and and then the next day italy shut its border and we were kind of just like it was like we were, we were running away from the tornado that we didn't really understand anything about at that point so yeah we all ended up back in in australia and we just, I guess, started kicking some new songs around, you know, like we started kicking some ideas around and it didn't take long before the five of us just sort of, I guess, naturally just fell into this, okay, we're actually going to start writing a new record or writing new music, you know? And so because of the whole isolation thing, everyone having to to isolate with COVID, we, we did adopt some new ways of writing and we started sending know, We had a big folder, online folder thing that we were just updating and little little ideas would get sent around from one person and someone else would work on it and then someone would send something else. And we sort of just, you know, there was no pressure to write, but uh, we, I think we all started just moving to that zone. And then when we could finally get together again, we started fleshing those ideas out, you know, as the whole band in a room and playing songs and things. And there was talk to come back to America to make the record. We really enjoyed the record we'd made previously. We did in Nashville, actually, which is also another great great city to play music in and we were going to come back maybe we weren't going to go to nashville but the engineer we had worked with there was suggesting a really cool studio out of la up called sonic ranch which was done, which was, it was super inspiring too if we could have gone there but just the COVID thing it just wasn't happening i mean we, we went Australia's border didn't really open for quite a long time. And so we decided just to make it in Sydney. So we worked with a guy called Simon Berkelman, who runs a really cool studio in Sydney called Golden Retriever. And it's right next to where we have our own little uh, writing room and um, rehearsal room and all our gear. So it was super, super local. It could sort of just, you know, go go from one building to the other. And uh, we, we ended up making it there over a few recording blocks. And we did some stuff in our little room as well. But we we did mix it with mainly with Craig Silvey, in London, who you would know some of his work, like from um, Arcade Fire and and different bands. He's a, he's he's amazing. he's from San Francisco actually, but he's lived in the in London for twenty years. There was Tommy Elmhurst did mix a song early on, and Colin Dupuis also did mix one song, but the rest of it was all with Craig Silvey. Yeah,
0: that's cool. And that's I mean, one of the things that I've read about, and I wanted to kind of get your take on it was there's more digital elements in this album than some of the previous ones. And it seems like that started initially as kind of a requirement of the pandemic because of the separation. But you seems like you adopted it pretty well, like even when y'all kind of got back together. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I guess like on the record previously, we'd actually had, like well, we'd still other synths, you know, the, the keyboard electronic world had started to sort of expand. And we actually, in our writing had sort of gone into the electronic percussion world a bit. But when we made that previous record, we decided not to do electronic percussion where, but we made loopy some loopy stuff out of acoustic instruments and did that. On this current record, the keyboard world's expanded even more, like the synthesizer world from John, our, our keyboard player, he really kind of got really into some new keyboards and really expanding his vocabulary there. We were gravitating towards that sound world as a palette for harmony and from the percussion point of view like i really feel like it's always live drums as well but then we have this element i'm really into making loops as a, as a bunch of the guys are but i made a bunch of loops on a couple of the early sketches which we ended up keeping once we all got together because they you know they felt good and we decided to embrace let's blend this world of electronic loops and real drums as as part of the core sound on on about maybe 6 of the tracks anyway it's not every or not every song but um we think of it like an electronic percussionist, you know? It's like, oh, it's it's, it's like there's a percussionist in the band now that's playing electro, electronic sounds, and that's what's... And it really worked. And Tim, our drummer and Killian, our guitar player, often took some of those initial ideas and, and would flesh them out with building new sounds for what we had sort of done in the early demos and whatnot. But I think it just sort of encouraged us to stick to that because that, that's what we wanted to do on this previous record, but we shied away from it a bit. This time we had the confidence, no, I think we can make this work. And it's working live for us too. It's not like something we like Like we don't play with track or we don't need to have that element in live necessarily. Like we kind of maybe just have a couple of sounds on a pad or something, but I don't know. It's just sort of like, it just creates like a, an energy. Why did you guys shy away from it on the Suck On Light album? The engineer we were working with, I mean, it was cool. He was like, oh, let's let's make our own electronic sounds by... So we we often did things like we would treat other skinned instruments with tape and with towels and whatnot and record sounds and then we would make that into a so in a way we kind of did did do it, but their their source was more organic sounding rather than actually be a digital a digital sound. So that was cool on Suck and Light because it was like, oh we actually just built our own samples of sounds. But this time, I think we wanted to sort of stick to it being a little bit more, I guess, a bit more focused. And now we wanted to have that electronic sound, you know, for this intro, of this song or uh, this chorus or whatnot. We actually wanted to have that element. So since
0: you were, you were leaning more into these digital sounds like the synth and the electronic percussion, were those musicians in the band leading the progress and development of this album more so than maybe like Harlequin Dream or something like that?
1: No, not necessarily because it's a real collaborative band. So often some of these, any of these ideas might start from any of the five of us. So it's kind of like an open canvas like that. And then all of us craft it towards the end of like producing the sound and, and whatnot. And then we do go into our corners where it's like, okay, yeah, I, you know, I play the bass and I'm going to play the bass now. But like from the start point, it's very much like, yeah, so, you know, like I I might have created the first loop Tim might do something like, you know, yeah, sort of like, It's really spread around, actually. I wanted to ask too, like Moonfire had a 10th anniversary
0: kind of right before y'all started writing this. So did I know y'all did some stuff to celebrate that. Did that have any influence on going into writing this album?
1: I don't know if it had influence, but I feel like it was like at first, you know, these uh, being an anniversary and actually like stepping, so we were kind of already writing when this happened. It was was actually at first from a headspace. It was actually tricky to go, oh, how do we now go and, because we did a concert here in sydney just one where we played that record and celebrated it and so you have to rehearse old songs and do all that and i think there was a like at first was a bit of nervousness Oh, how are we going to sort of flip our flip our musical mind to go back you know because we're writing all this new stuff so in a way it was but it was actually really refreshing because it was kind of like it came together really easily in the audience it was a great concert and i think it was nice to kind of like actually maybe revisit some of those roots and present them with fresh approach. You know, as much as we played the record, we still played like the band sounds now, ten years on. You know, the band's developed and the band performs differently. I think it gave us a, a boost of like enthusiasm just for music. You know, actually, which was cool, and also probably the confidence of what we were writing for this new record and what we were how we we're recording. It sort of, a, yeah, we're we, you know we we're really feeling strong about the new batch of songs and stuff.
0: My approach to listening to the new album was I listened to an old album, then I would listen to the new album, then I would listen to an old oh, album. Yeah, right. to... So I went back and forth between... Because it, I felt like it would kind of... I hate to compare albums, but it, just to kind of put a frame of reference around it just as well. Because I mean, my thing is when I when I listen to you guys, it's, it's so consistent album to album to album. And so that's... My question is like, what have you learned in creating the four albums that's led to this kind of consistency?
1: I think every record, like definitely the discussions we have afterwards, you know, like with sometimes not immediately after, but once we're then out touring on that cycle of that record or whatever, you the conversations do start about what was really great about what we experienced or what was something we maybe want to tweak next time, you know, like that kind of classic thing of, okay, now we want to sort of like the electronic thing on this record, like explore that further for the next record or what really worked on the last one. The consistency, I think, though, is that nothing's radically that different in terms of it's not all of a sudden like you know this our new record does isn't all of a sudden us now up there, like the electronic element is actually quite small in a way. It's still there's a drum kit, there's a, there's electric bass, there's piano sounds, there's acoustic guitar, electric guitar leads and, and harmonies and vocals so that's still there across all records, in the forefront, and the other elements get added and and the songwriting changes, but there still is a lot across from each record maybe that's the consistency part i think you know we are very much a live band like we still get up on stage and play we don't ever put track on or whatever like that there's it's kind of like it is just the five of us playing and and we so as a band you do actually evolve don't you and you, you kind of get better you know you get better at playing together like you do, you're just your communication and you live in each other's pockets You and you and you play in the pocket with each other and, and that kind of develops but maybe that consistency is there from the beginning you know and Maybe that's something you've sort of heard between the, between the records,
0: but I did that was one of my questions was how has longevity played into remaining consistent over the years? I mean, aside from that little gap that you all had for a break, y'all have been together for a while and playing together for a band. I mean, as a band for a while, does there has to be a level of comfort, like you said, into playing together that you wouldn't get if you were just playing in a two-year old band or whatever it is
1: but yeah, one hundred percent it's like, you know we We talk about it like match practice a bit, you know, like we we actually reference sport a lot, you know, in in what we do because the COVID thing really obviously took a lot of our, our match time out, you know, and then when it started up again, it was quite spread out. You might have a one gig and another one three months later. And it's actually hard to sort of just get up and be at that level. Like a band needs to be, when you go on a tour and, and, you know, you're sort of like three shows in and you just start to feel like, wow, we're, we're really going up a gear now, you know, and then you get a week in or whatever and two weeks and months in. It's really like fitness, you know. So I feel like we're, we're also fortunate that um we're a band of, of folks that enjoy being together and enjoy playing music together. There's still a lot of love in the room and that's a really good thing that we could enjoy doing it together. But definitely, I definitely think there's nothing better than Putting a bunch of dates on the in the book and getting out and playing, and every time you spread that out, it takes a bit to get going again. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, I mean, with your last album, that was coming out
0: of what a four-year break for you guys.
1: Yeah, maybe that's right, right. Yeah, three and a half, four years. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, how much of that, like, did it provide like a sense of renewal in the band? Like, I mean, when you got back together, it was like coming back together with family.
1: Oh, was when we finally got it to the stage of okay, we're going to put another record and we're going to get out there. It was a sense of like joy and relief, you know, because I think there was a bit of no man's land there for a while, and it wasn't really necessarily a break. I guess um, there was a couple of things that needed to get sorted out for Dave Hosking, our singer. He just had a bit of he had some health stuff he was sort of dealing with, but we did start writing anyway, like during that. So we were still doing things wasn't clear break, but it w- at the same time, yeah, it wasn't like our vision wasn't as clear as it had been previously. So that, I think that made a few of us a bit nervous too. Are we going to do this again? Are we doing it this year or next year? Like we wanted to know, but um yeah, it was definitely a relief once we got going again, and it felt great. Yeah, getting everyone back together and actually going, cool, we've got a date in the book to go and record, and we're gonna, we've got some shows, we're gonna book in. Well, and I mean, I know this is the kind of the second album coming back
0: from that. You did have the break from the pandemic where you guys were separated, and. I know you're not the lyricist, but and maybe I'm reading too much into the lyrics, but some of the songs on the new album, like Just To Be Kind, Apex, and Hostage, to me, my interpretation of the lyrics was like, this is a love letter to the band itself, it seems like. It kind of seems like they work on a simultaneous level. I mean, is that something y'all acknowledge, or am I just making something up?
1: I mean, that's great. I mean, I think, like, you know, lyrically, we all kind of, take our interpretations how we do you know as individuals like as a as listeners that's a nice thing about poetry and music i think it can really kind of mean different things but there's definitely a sense of optimism throughout the whole record lyrically dave hosking our singer he's has been fascinated by the fragile nature of our own mind but also what we're capable of you know um and so in his own words you know he would say there is love songs but there is songs of struggle and there's also songs of celebration, you know, so it's yeah, maybe what you said, there's some celebration and love songs in there as well as, you know, maybe also talking about some certain struggles, you know, to get to those points. Given, like we've
0: said, the longevity of your band as well as just kind of the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of being a unit, how has that affected your previous work within the band? Like with this new album coming out in a couple of weeks at the time of the recording, how do you look back on your old works now, knowing everything that you know? with this new album
1: yeah as an artist i think we look back and we kind of critique the things that we feel that we didn't quite get there but we do i think celebrate the wins too we kind of are proud of the things that we like about each record or proud of the feedback we get from different people as they talk about it but we do talk about every record and every recording experience critically no like we kind of do break them down you know what i mean like and as a way forward is going well. Maybe we didn't get that thing right, but what we got from that was that experience. And that's the thing at the time, you know, we were in the moment and we were trying that or we were learning. And I think we've learned from every record and we've matured from every recording experience. And I don't think that'll ever change, you know, (laughs) I think... If I had this chat with you in a year's time, like the record we're about to put out, i have a couple of things in my mind about, "Ah, you know, maybe I wouldn't do that this time, you know? And I think that's how you always push forward for the. That's what drives you to do another record, you know? No. Yeah, that's great. And that's how do you balance challenging
0: yourself and learning from the previous album versus appeasing the fans? Because, I mean, you have a dedicated fan base and you want to make sure they enjoy and love what you put out. but as an artist, you have to challenge yourself or else you're just stagnant.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think it's something that we don't think about that much. I feel like we just kind of create the music that we create and maybe it's like it's not that drastically out of character what we're creating with these changes. you know. So hopefully the audience just sort of comes along with us. But I think if you're trying to sort of think about that too much, it can be become a bit stagnant maybe, or maybe stops you in your growth. And I feel like a song that you're proud of and a performance that you're proud of is probably just one that's straight from the heart in general isn't it one that you sort of you're not you don't have those boundaries but um in saying that yeah it's not like we're uh <laughs> really reinventing the wheel here in what we do like i think we've got our genre that we've kind of ended in, in in a way i think it's crafted by our individual performing styles and the sounds that we create like it's still there. there's these threads across the records that you know what i mean like the sound of dave singing and he's kind of the lyrical style to the way that the band and the instruments interact with that and counter melodies that we create or grooves like there's an evolution there but it feels like it's it feels like the threads there between each one well that's i mean like we talk
0: about these digital elements that are more prominent on this album than previous ones but you know like i said in the way that i approach listening to this album and as well as your previous discography you could have placed this album anywhere within your discography and I would have said, yeah, it came out that year. It would not have surprised me. I mean, it very is much linear with any point in your band. And that's what I mean by the consistency. Is like, yeah, cool. you are a consistent band in what you put out. And that it's all very great material, but it does really seem to kind of just, y'all have locked into this niche and y'all are doing it well.
1: Oh, oh, oh that's great, Lance. Cheers. And I think maybe like, There's a little bit of every record in every record. (laughs) Maybe that's part of that consistency too. I don't think, yeah, I feel like the good bits of each record kind of, when I say good bits, the bits that we still gravitate towards get threaded through to the next one and something else maybe gets developed. But there's definitely, there's a lot of crossover there. Well,
0: and I mean, that in and of itself is just growth as an artist. You're talking about that. Like, I mean, you're pulling from each album to kind of, work on yourself in that and to say like, this is what I really value about myself on this album and you take that to the next album, it seems like.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something that we do You know, collectively, definitely. Okay, as we kind of start to wrap up, my last question is, what's been your strongest lasting value as a band in your opinion?
1: I feel like it's collaboration. The five of us collaborate on every aspect of what we do as a band. So we collaborate on the songwriting we collaborate on the recording we collaborate on the the vision for the product we're creating like the artwork and whatnot we collaborate on the live show and then we collaborate on the storytelling of of the music and the interviews and we collaborate on the business (laughs) so we collaborate on on that side of it so i feel like collaboration is the fact that we are collaborating in a way that's so equal and considerate of each other. I feel like as a band, that's what's giving us longevity of looking at a career that's now kind of 12 years in or whatever, as well as a vision for the band to be doing this for the next 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Was that how you approached forming the band? Was with that kind of open collaboration, has that always been the ideal? I think it's developed along the way to be more and more that. To the point now where it's kind of yeah it is sort of super just really equal like that so i think that developed through experiencing each other and experiencing the music industry because it can go kind of it can go a few different ways in this industry and there's a few examples out there where it's not as uh easy as the way that we tend to do it if you know what i mean it can get a little bit get a bit tricky to navigate you the world of it so i think that's a strength for us for sure well i mean it seems like too with
0: the closeness that you have is you describe as having in the band. It seems like that's, that really takes that the extra mile for you guys to have that, to be so friendly and everything.
1: Yeah, totally. And, you know, you've got each other's back along the way, you know, everyone looks out for each other and you have your strengths and weaknesses along the way. And it's nice to be able to, you know, it's like a, you know, once again, referencing sport, it's like a team. It's like, a, you've got to play to your weakest player or whatever they say. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, your new album's coming out May
0: 26th, and I just want to say I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's a fantastic album. I love the lineage of the band and where it's come from and where you are with this new album. And I look forward to the next five albums that you guys put out. But I just want to say I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today,
1: man. Yeah, thanks Lance. Well, we'll straight back at you, mate. Appreciate you taking the time to listen to our music and to talk about it with me. And on behalf of the whole band, yeah, we're really looking forward to letting people hear it.
0: I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for listening to another episode of my show. For more live music podcasts, check out our other show, Jam Journals. If you're feeling kind, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and check us out on all the social media platforms. Email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com or visit our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. So until next time, give us a subscribe,
1: tell your friends, and most importantly, take care of your shoes.